Welcome to today's episode of Square. It's literally been months in the making because we're going to get to sit down with Matt Mooney, um, who is a managing principal here at Corrigan. But you, you prefer architect as a title. Uh, that's what I've been pursuing for my whole life. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm really excited about our conversation. Um, you know, it, August 27th, 2012 was my first day working at Corrigan. A and day I that vividly, will live in infamy. Yeah, exactly. Only in my mind. And I remember vividly walking in at the, the original entrance, and um, you were in the Alamo in the big glass conference room, and you were, you were doing something in there. And I remember vividly you had a, a cup of coffee, and you came out and you said hi to me, and you didn't know me from Adam. And that... Uh, was the first of many times that we've had different conversations and, and you've been a huge supporter of the Media Lab and whatnot. So I, I'm really excited to sit down and talk with you a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And um, <clears throat> I should probably ask if I need a lawyer here because, you know, Steph um, normally... We'll only, we'll edit most of this it. out, so okay. especially all the experts. So the, the opinions are all mine yeah, and exactly. not reflection of the company <laughs> and, and uh, you know, no warranties express reply. <laughs> exactly. Now that we've got that... We got it. We're good. So of all the other titles that you, you could use, you, you really do want to be known as an architect. Where did that, that start? As a kid? or? Oh, man. I've, I've wanted to be an architect since I was five years old, before I even kind of knew what it was. And, uh, and a lot of it had to do, I mean, I think to understand me, you got to understand my dad. Um, and uh, uh, my dad was a guy that could, uh, he could fix anything. Right? There he is. Uh, that, that's in, that's on Guadalcanal, 1942. That's awesome. Uh, he's 24 years old in that picture. Uh, but my dad was one of those guys that could fix anything. And as I grew up, I was always kind of there with him uh, fixing things, which yeah. you know broke a fair amount back then. <laughs> um, but but what 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 I really liked about that he was an electrical engineer by training, um, and 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 he had this thing about fixing things. And I remember so vividly one one particular instance when I was probably five or six years old. <clears throat> we had a television and they all had vacuum tubes in them, right? Yep. And at the time, if your television went on the fritz, you'd, you'd literally take out all the vacuum tubes and you'd take up to the drugstore and you'd plug it into a machine to find out which ones were bad. Huh. So we found which one was bad. And the idea was that you buy one at the drugstore and replace it. And so we bought one, but we took the old one back. And at the workbench for the next three nights, what we did is we disassembled this. We literally took a torch, opened it up. Uh, you know, took the vacuum out, re repaired the tungsten filament, and we, we built this really elaborate thing where you draw down the vacuum on the tube again with water, and we, we pinched the tube. It, and we just did it, just, he did it just, just to, to see, see if, if, he could if do you it. do it, right? Yeah. So we, we, put the, we got this done, it's like three nights, and uh, I say we, it was him, but I used the royal we. Yeah. <clears throat> and we, we put the tube back in the TV, and I will never forget the feeling when we turned that TV on and it worked. For about 30 seconds, right? <laughs> it was but, a glorious but, 30 seconds. <laughs> that was not the point. And, and honestly, that was kind of a microcosm of what my career in architecture has been about. There's a, there's a, a satisfaction mm -hmm. in, in, in exploring the curiosity. You know, why, why did that not work? Yeah. <clears throat> How can it be fixed? You know, what, what is the problem? What's yeah. the real problem? And then, and then the incredible satisfaction of of having accomplished the thing you were going for and, and that's to me that's what architecture has has been about since since i was five so okay then if if fixing things and understanding how they work was such an integral part why not engineering 
You know, I, I think I I might have been less about at the early early stage. Yeah. I might have been <clears throat> I might have been less about problem solving mm. than I was about about the creative aspect of it. Um, that was always a draw for me. Yeah. Um, and 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 I I guess to some degree, and maybe it was because my dad, you know, as an engineer, and he was an engineer at Westinghouse for for all these years. And, you know, he was always doing something that somebody else directed him to. I mean, like mm-hmm. from a, from a corporate we perspective. And I always thought architects were a lot more independent than that. That we, you know, we were we were more directors than, than than actors. Yeah. Um, and and I think that was that was kind of a, an appeal to me. I mean, maybe I'm a you know control enthusiast. Um, <laughs> maybe mm, I don't know. But we'll but yeah. bring up some some subordinates later. <laughs> so I know you grew up in Pittsburgh, and and you can't spend much time with, with talking with you without Pittsburgh or sure. or the. the um, that area coming up what how has that influenced you throughout life you know it's a it, when, when i grew up in pittsburgh it was a m- much grittier city today it's a it's a paradise it's really it's it, it was one of the first rust belt cities to to wake up mm-hmm. to environmentalism i mean there was Mon- the monongahela river and the allegheny river flowed into the ohio and literally the monongahela was brown and the allegheny was green and you could literally see a line where they where they oh, formed gosh. and and there were tree trunks and bodies and everything and it was terrible yeah and the and the air was awful and this was you know i was you know seven eight years old you know six in during the 60s yeah and um and uh the city woke up it was the first rust belt city it says you know we got to do something about this our air mm-hmm. is terrible our water's terrible and they and they went about transforming the city and they cleaned up the rivers and they cleaned up the air and it took a long time and they used a lot of civic money to do that and they they took all the railroad tracks out of downtown and they they reclaimed fort pitt down at the point and it became this just beautiful city you know and it, and it was very blue collar you know and yeah. i love that about the city i love the fact that there's hard workers and they and they care about their families and they there's a lot of really powerful values that came out of that that adversity right yeah and i had the good fortune to grow up in the 70s it was the city of champions you know the, the, the sports teams were winning so there was this whole idea that you could you know, coming from from adversity, you could overcome that stuff. Yeah. And I have to laugh because this you know picture here says you know it shows you know my dad really involved <laughs> with me. Um, Find the newspaper. But, but you know one of the things of growing up in Pittsburgh, my, my my dad, I always joked that my dad was was the was the master of artificial adversity. Yeah. He made things harder than they had to be, but he had a purpose, right? And yeah. it was the whole idea that as I grew up, I had to overcome these obstacles, and whether it was something in school or something at work or whatever I had to do. <clears throat> you know, my dad was not a helicopter parent. He cared, yeah. and he wanted me to know things, yeah. right? But he knew that ultimately what was going to happen is that you were going to get out into the world, and there wasn't anybody going to, you know, push you along, Yeah, right? So so I'm really grateful for that. And you had you have five brothers and sisters, is that right? I have, uh, yeah, I had uh, two brothers and, and, and three sisters. Wow. Yeah, so big big family, but yeah. but, but but spread out quite quite a bit. There's there's like 21 years from, from wow. my sister to my get my sister that's awesome so um you know with with your dad kind of teaching you things and whatnot is there was there one piece of advice or or something that he kind of left you with oh man that is that's a great story um uh i was i was in college um and my grandmother lived in dallas and uh she was getting very very old and she was gonna we were moving her up to pittsburgh to stay with my mom and dad <clears throat> so my dad was down in, in Dallas, and we were cleaning out the house, and we would take walks in the evening just to just to relax and, yeah. and talk. And I remember, and I remember asking him. I said, you know, what, you know, if you had one thing, you know, he said, well, I got two things. One is, you know, you got to hustle. You got you got to keep 
keep going. Yeah. Right. And and he and he always <clears throat> he always liked the quote that uh, Winston Churchill said: "If you're going through hell, keep going." Yeah. Right. So you got to hustle. <laughs> you got to keep going. Right. But the other one was was um, was was uh, so that was that was when we were, we were walking that evening. Well, then very shortly thereafter, I was I was pursuing. Uh, I had graduated and I was uh, looking at firms and, and I got out in in uh, in in 84 uh, uh, spring of 84 and uh, and I was interviewing in a lot of places it was a great place to interview a great time to interview because there was all these opportunities and I had interviewed at Corgan and and I liked it a lot yeah. but I didn't also interview like 20 other places and I and I asked my dad I said dad you know you have any advice I'm, I've got all these choices what what do you what do you think I should do and he says you know I said I don't really know your business I don't really understand it you know yeah. all that well um but i can say that if you have a choice go work for an honest man and i'll tell you in that instant huh. the picture of jack corgan popped into my head and and jack is that guy he is the last boy scout yeah and i and i got that from it was a it was a three interview process um that that when i came to corgan i'd interviewed with jack and, and and phil mean uh, they took me over to the um to the French room at the Adolphus, which oh. is the most expensive restaurant yeah. I'd never been in my life. <laughs> the, the, the rest, the, the menu was in was in French, you know, and I'm like, ah. and I'm looking, and it's like this one looks like bird, and I'm thinking, <laughs> God, please be chicken, you know. <clears throat> so, 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 so that was how I came to to work at Corgan, and, and I have to tell you that was one of the wisest decisions ever made, and I'm deeply grateful to to Jack um, for all he's done for me. Is there anything you wish you'd done differently? No, no. I have to. I have to laugh. But this is about fifteen, twenty years ago. We had done one of the the annual um, um, anniversaries for yeah, people at the firm. Sure. And afterwards, uh, John Holtzheimer came up to me. You know, God, God love John. I love John. Um, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, I was just, I was just curious. You know, we, you ever, you ever think about what, what was the, what was the best time in your life? Yeah. And I, and I, and I looked at him. I said, well, John now yeah and he goes i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> and, I, and i and i said i mean isn't that how it's supposed to be yeah you know and i have to say you know now now is one of those times yeah you know it just i, I am i am idiotically lucky i mean i am one of the luckiest people on the planet maybe in the galaxy if you believe in aliens right <laughs> but but uh you know i i think that there's a base level of optimism and honestly, I, I, I get that from my wife. You mm-hmm. know, Barbie is Barbie made me a better person uh, because she could always see the kind of the brighter side of things. Yeah. <clears throat> Those of us that know her completely agree. Well, you know, I mean, and she, and, you know, and she, I mean, she was steadfast. I mean, she was a rock. I mean, she, she really she really helped me a lot. Yeah. And 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 when you have an optimism, optimistic viewpoint and you have and you have someone that su- supports you. Yeah. Like that unconditionally. Um, you know, there's not a lot of obstacles you 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 have to worry about. Yeah. Um, and you know, and at the at the end of the day, you know, some days you're up, some days you're down. Yeah. Um, I love I love the story about Catfish Hunter, the the, the great pitcher. Um, he, he in the '70s he was in the uh, he was in the Oakland A's. He was a great pitcher, and he was winning these games in the World Series. You know, and he was just doing great. It was, it was the fourth game or something like that, and he's pitching great, and all of a sudden, it just goes to hell, and he, and they lose the game. Yeah. And he walks off the mound, and one of the one of these uh, reporters comes up to him and says, uh, Catfish. Aren't you, aren't you upset? You know, you were doing so good, and it was, you, you were going to win the game. And he just looks at him, and he says, uh, well, you know, the sun don't shine on the same dog's ass every afternoon. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, that is a great, you know, perspective on life. You, know? <laughs> you can't change the game. 
you 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 know since i've known you in the last eight plus years you've always had uh such a fondness for history and and telling some of the stories from history just like that where does that come from oh i i I read like a fiend you know Mm -hmm. that's my that's my release yeah um i read books i think i'm probably on the 25th book or something since the beginning of the year something like that Golly. but and it's all kinds of stuff i mean it's it's everything from you know mark twain biographies history uh i, I love reading about the apollo program mm-hmm. you know, i grew up in that in that phase that era um and and i always had this as curious like man i, I want to know what happened yeah you know and i always always liked the the mark twain line he said you know history doesn't actually repeat itself but it often rhymes <laughs> so I think if you if you know history, I think you can put things in context that you didn't have before. Yeah. You know, context is, you know, from an architectural perspective, I think if you if you really boil it down, it is about it's about curiosity in context. Right. Huh. I think you have to ask the right questions, understanding the circumstances that you're in. And I think that's the kind of thing that helps you define for our clients what their problem is and how to how to solve it. Is there, are there, I'm sure there are many projects that stand out kind of over the career and, and even more coming, but, but are there, can you share a couple with me that, that stand out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, probably one of the more pivotal ones was, was the Alliance hangar, the, the American Airlines Alliance hangar. It was, uh, it we was actually a, have, for a different project, we shot some footage of that. Of course. That I'm going to show. Of course you did. Because I remember you saying in the past that this is one of your favorite projects because of the intricacy involved. Well, and, and the point in my career, too. I mean, this was, you know, by the way, job number 8876. <laughs> um, you got to know those things, right? Um, this, was, uh, this was a really pivotal project for me because up until this time, I'd been, uh, my first five years, uh, four or five years, at Corgan was working on in schools, mm-hmm. which was fabulous experience because at the time you were doing design, bid, build, they had to be the drawings had to be really good. Right. Um, so when this opportunity came up, David Lind, uh, Bob Morris had just become a new principal and mm-hmm. he didn't have any staff. And uh, I thought, you know, I wanna I wanna work with Bob, and uh, and I wanna work on this project. So I moved from one team to another. Uh, and I mean, there was scorched earth behind me because they were they, they were not happy about that. Um, but this was very early in my career. You know, five years in, I was a project manager. I, I didn't I, I didn't I didn't know the front end from the back end. And this was a 789,000 square foot facility. Uh, it has shops and uh, heavy shops, and it is what they call a sea check hangar. And what they do is they bring aircraft in, they they take them down to their bones, and then they re, they refurbish them. Um, this is, at the time, was the largest cantilevered hangar in the world. The vertical elements there are all concrete, and then you'll see those big steel arms that yeah. go back out and they hold up the roof. The the main bay, this is a seven-bay wide body. You put seven wide-body aircraft in it at one time. This thing was 300 feet deep and a quarter mile long with no columns. And the with doors, no columns. No columns. And the doors were 75 feet tall. They were, autom- they were, they were, they were on train tracks, basically. Yeah. And it was such a large building that the temperature difference, I mean, when we literally built this, there were giant box trusses that go under each one of those, those arms that uh, we, had to, we had to align up. Uh, we had to line up the box. Tr- when I say we, again, right. the royal we. It was, yeah. I didn't lift any of this stuff personally. <laughs> so we had, they had a cradle underneath it, and the box truss was there, and then the big arms were down. And there were eyelets in the arms, and there were uh, eyelets in the 
truss. Right. And we had to wait for the right temperature, the right time of morning, so that as the sun rose, the temperature, because the end of these things would move up and down like three, four feet in a day, just because wow. of the temperature. So what happens is that, is that, that, that arm it would literally swell to the point where the eyelet lined up, and then they had a crane lift these giant pins in each, each end of it, and you only had like eight minutes to, to there was get like a there. window a, you had to hit and, it and and we we missed a window once and we had to come back the next morning wow. and do the other pin um but you know it was gigantic i mean you could walk in the gutters for these things they were made out of stainless steel yeah and uh i i learned a, another interesting lesson on this too is that i was i was uh, i did not know at the time uh that your hard hat uh had an expiration date on <laughs> and the way i found out that was we were up in the catwalks one day and i happened to look over in my hat my my hard hat fell off and went 75 feet down and just pinged like an egg it just it just shattered shattered (laughs) and uh and and that's when i found out that you know they have they have have an expiration you know here it was an heirloom for me it was one of the first things i got at corgan (laughs) i loved it and there it was on the ground in a bunch of pieces that's that's probably the best way to find out that your heart hat has an expiration yeah 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 no kidding um all right so tell me something that you love that has nothing to do with architecture uh, I love my wife. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> for good reason. For good reason. Um, I, 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 like I said, I love to read, mm. um, and it's the escape. You know, my mind is always. You know, when I'm here at work, my mind's always going. You're always trying to. You know, you're. I'm. 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 I'm an innate problem solver. I'm always thinking about that sort of thing. So when I'm when I'm reading about something, it's an escape. And whether I'm reading the cereal box or the you know a, a, mm-hmm. a book about the moon rover or something, um, my mind is there. And and to me, that's the that's the great escape. When when a few different people heard we were actually going to sit down and talk, uh, this picture got sent to me by like seven different people. Yeah, I need to know the story behind the. I mean, it looks like you're about to just dominate right there. Well, so that's was, good. This was actually in the middle of one of my anti gravity experiments. <laughs> <laughs> so was this at like a? This a, was at a. The, uh, there's actually a little story behind that, um, as there always is. Yes, right? I'm a story guy. <laughs> um, this was at the. Um, this was at the annual volleyball uh-huh. tournament um, for Corgan. We, we would have it every September-ish, right, in Titsi Park over there off of Skillman. And uh, at, at some point, I'm pretty sure that we were hiring for volleyball. You know, these, <laughs> people were getting taller, more athletic, you know. Um, so so that is, that's Phil Mean over there, by the way. I'm that, like, is it really? Yeah. You can't, can't see it. Um, at any rate, um, uh, there was a great story that, that, that we would, it would get to the point. We would do this year after year after year. Yeah. And at one point, there was um, – we would make t-shirts right to the eighth annual blah 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 yeah so one year and it was all a very grassroots kind of a thing you know mm-hmm. somebody somebody in the firm would do it and there's a guy who made the t-shirts for one and the t-shirt was the the the, um, the theme that year was jurassic park okay right and it was all like a jurassic park logo thing but it says get your ass in the park <laughs> okay right? got it and it, everybody went ha ha you know funny 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 jack did not like it at all <laughs> there might be three of those t-shirts left i think you found them all and burned them you know that was just not that was just not us um but yeah this was uh this was the the jurassic park there that's i've i i wish i had video <clears throat> i can't imagine i'm really you're pleased. pretty sure you spiked on phil at this point right yeah I'm, I'm well i'm pretty pleased you don't have video <laughs> i have no idea no idea but i'm gonna have to hunt down that digital copy and just burn it. that just like the shirts <laughs> pretty much pretty much you as i said at the beginning you've always been a big proponent um not blindly 
but a big proponent of the media lab and and the storytelling and 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 guiding um, particularly John, but the entire lab as as to you know the, the things that we should pursue. Um, one of those was a drone operation that Luke kind of helped us start. And the first thing that we droned was a new project you were working on, personal project, which was your your house, the, oh, yeah. the house you built out of containers. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what led to you wanting to design this container house. Sure. I, when I was in when I was in college, mostly uh, graduate school, um, I, I I just thought they were really fascinating. I had a friend who whose whose father worked at one of the one of the shipping yards, and we went one day and just got to crawl around them all. And I always thought they were really interesting pieces of equipment you know they were they were the biggest lego blocks you could find at the yeah. time right um and they are technically they are equipment they are they are leased uh, because of tax laws they are leased equipment and they depreciate over a shorter period of time so when they depreciate and you get your money back out of them you can retain them and keep making money on them so right. so, so they're really interesting things they're beautifully built they were imagined in the early 50s uh for a global uh transition of of um of goods and services around mm-hmm. the uh, goods around the country around the world um and so they were made to stack and they were very modular and they were the same even though there were 45 different languages that people spoke right so so i had this kind of real interest when i was in college and i thought i'd someday i'd love to to, to build with those things and it just never went away i always kind of thought about it and thought about it and finally I, we got to the point where my wife and i were walking around the neighborhood one day and and you know we look packed near, near a, a blank lot and yeah, you know, we, we, sh- we might not build a house. And she goes, look, you, you know, you're going to do this when you're 50 or when you're 60, right? I mean, yeah. when, when you, you know, <laughs> call to action here. And I got to be really thinking about it. And I thought, you know what? We have the means. We have the ability to do it. Let, let's go do it. Yeah. And, and I wanted to do it differently than everybody else did. I mean, a lot of, a lot of container um, houses are, are very low, low end, low cost, kind of simple, which, right. are, which is great. I want I wanted yeah. simple. But when we when we did it, I wanted it to be a, a, a nice house in a nice place. Yeah. And we we found a lot on, a, on the hill above White Rock Lake, and it had a beautiful view of the city and the lake. And so we we took it on. And um, my my policy was that you know if I couldn't find it at Home Depot, I didn't want it. You know, yeah. there's no 23 pel- piece you know Belgian chandeliers in there. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's not not my style. So the handrails are made of, of rebar. The the stairs are made of um, um, channel. Um, and and every part, even the millwork is kind of paraply. You can actually see the edges of the plywood because I want them to know. I want people to know what it's made out of. Yeah. And so you look at it, and it's made out of 14 shipping containers. Um, and while we did save money on the shipping containers, we we put it into the detail. We put mm-hmm. that money into detailing, into 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 a little bit better finishes. And as a result, it ends up being a you know a really interesting place. And I remember, we, and we, we up until that time, we'd never really done a lot of uh, entertaining. And at the time, we decided that what we wanted to do is we wanted to, and this is, again, my wife's influence, is that three or four times of the year, we wanted to make the house available to some charity right. and raise money for charities. And we, we decided we were going to do, you know, three or four a year. And that, that first year, we did like nine or something. It was, <laughs> it was silly. And I remember one uh, particular one was the was the, was the uh, Hexter Elementary uh, walkthrough. You know how they do a uh, homes tour, yeah. right? Yeah. And there are a lot of people walking through it and, you know, people oohing on and stuff. And I'll never forget. There's one lady coming in and, and with her with her boyfriend, and she was haranguing the crap out of him from the minute he walked. I mean, you can just, you can just hear it's like, you know, it's like, oh, oh, God help me. So we get in there, and all of a sudden, you know, she stops. She's quiet, and you, and you kind of it's it's one of those things you kind of look. At it's kind of noticeable that right, she's right. quiet now. <laughs> so she she's she's quiet and she's looking around, and she puts her hands on her hips and she goes, "This is not as bad as I thought it was going to be." <laughs> 
I thought this is the highest compliment, <laughs> compliment I could possibly could get. get. Yeah. So, so, um, you're, you're, well, in the funny, I remember because where the lot is located, basically across the streets, the park and the, yeah. the parking lot for the park and uh, going down to white rock. And I remember when we were droning and we had that there were these big cranes, obviously that were lifting, and it was you were practically stopping traffic, and people were pulling over and parking at the park just so they could watch what was happening. It was, it was silly. It was a spectacle, but yeah. it was such a cool project, but also just an incredible view oh, of everything laid out in front of the of the house with White Rock Lake and the hill and everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a view to the it's a view to the southwest, and it looks over the lake, and it has the the skyline. And and the, and one of the big things we did is we put a roof deck on it for the for the entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the charity stuff. And uh, and you go up onto the roof deck. It's about a thousand square feet, and uh, it has this fantastic panorama of Dallas, and uh, and and it and it really is special when it, when the lights go down and you have a lot of people in there. Particularly, you know, we were doing um, we were doing one. Our opening uh, gala was for the for the Creative Arts Center, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know we set it out. We set that date out as far as we could possibly set it out. And yeah. we thought, ah, we'll be done. Pfft, no problem. No problem. Of course, you know, the day before <laughs> we're putting sod in. You know, it was it's typical <laughs> residential construction. But it was a it was a really it's a really really entertaining place and it, and it and it and it, it showcase to some degree it showcases Dallas and that's one of the reasons why we made yeah. this connection to having charities do that so so you know we've stopped doing that because of the pandemic um, but I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna get back to doing that and we talked a little bit about your love of, of history um, how do you think that has affected you as an architect well, I, I, I think it I think it has to do with one thing that I learned about history is nothing's original. Yeah, fair <laughs> right? enough. I mean, it's all it's, you know, that's not really actually true. But 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 it, it does give me context and it and it and it gives me a big confidence, too, that if I ever kind of uh, venture into something that I'm unsure of, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of there's a there is history. Mm-hmm. People that know things about stuff, you know, we're we're doing we're doing a, 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 a study for a for a big defense contractor right now on their campus and you know this is a campus that's been built over you know 60 70 years um and these buildings accrete you know this building happened that building and they just end up being wandered all over the place Mm -hmm. right well you know there's a why behind all of that and there's somebody that knows the why yeah and that's what that's what finding out you know finding the people that know the history of the place yeah and why this building was here or why it was done this way or why it hasn't been taken down yeah you know there's a there's a really important you know when we when we we talk about how much architecture has changed right the fact is is that what we do over the in, at least in my time frame right 30 what sure. seven years what we do has really not changed that much well, I mean what we do essentially is that we we listen well we are curious. We we find out what our clients' problems are. I mean, not their personal ones, but their sure. but their business ones. Yeah. Right. We we organize those challenges, and we methodically solve them. I mean, so so that part of our business, and we do it creatively. I mean, that's the yeah. other thing we we we're really creative. I mean, God, Hugo, and all, I mean, it's fantastic, right? Yeah. Media Lab. <clears throat> so so we solve our clients. We organize and solve our clients' problems, and that doesn't change. What's unbelievable, though, is the how we solve those. Yeah. Right. The 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 how the the technology that we've that we've uh, engaged in. I mean, when I when I first came to Corgan, we had word processors, right? And it, was, yeah. it was just we weren't even thinking about the problem, right? Yeah. Right. But but we had we had we had word processors. I remember being <laughs> I remember being in a in a management meeting because I was promoted pretty early, 
uh, to associate and at a time when there was principal and associate and that was all it was and I remember being in, a, in a, one of those meetings and um, and we were talking about um, God, God, Jay, Jay and I started the same day so Jay, Jay was kind of advancing the idea we should yeah. get a fax machine and one of the principals <laughs> looked over and says what the hell would we ever do with a fax machine <laughs> <laughs> and then you know and then you know two months later we ran out of fax paper right so but 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 the technology has advanced um, so much and the way we do our work has has evolved um, you could argue that it's revolved right it's, yeah. it's really really advanced to me um, the only way we could keep up with that is with having our young our younger and younger staff be as brilliant honestly mm -hmm. as they are I mean it staggers me how smart our staff is yeah right and and one of the skill sets I think that that is um, really advantageous in this day and age is is to um, of course you know they, they grew up on PCs and pacifiers so they're, they're, there's no fear of, of computers right right but but uh, you know we didn't have them when we grew up so I'm, it's a little bit foreign to me the skill set it strikes me is almost like uh, uh, being multilingual each each software package is a different language mm. right and, and as they come along and as they evolve and they change, it's like the language is changing, yeah. right? And, and the better you are at those mastering those languages, the, the more you can swim fluidly in that, in that stream. Yeah. And we're just so fortunate to have, to have people that have the innate curiosity and the, and the aptitudes to, to apply their creativity to their skill sets. Yeah. And that's what changes what we. That's what changes how we do things. What, what are some other ways? I mean, because like you said, you have a thirty-seven year career, and and the concept of helping clients solve their problems hasn't changed. What are some other things that have changed in the field of architecture? Uh, you know, in in the field of arch, it's it's ironic because we, we we talk a lot about the field of architecture, and I'm and I'm probably less. I'm probably less versed in the field of architecture than I am in the perspective that I gained when I came at Cor came to Corgan, mm -hmm. right? And I and I've been here. I mean, you know, 37 years is almost half the firm's history, right? And and I I look back and I I think that there's really kind of two or three things that that Corgan I don't know inculcated in me. One was this place is a leadership incubator, right? I, I have seen more quality leaders grow out of this firm yeah. than you could shake a stick at. It's amazing. And I want to, I want to come back to that in just a second. The, the second thing is that, is that Corgan, from the day I started here, Corgan was um, characterized to me as a business first. You couldn't do architecture unless you were good business people, right? And then, and then the third thing I would say is that, is, that, is that there was a strong ethical foundation and that ethical foundation says that we're not going to cut corners. We're going to treat all of our team members, whether they're up or down the food chain, like we'd want to be treated ourselves, yep. which has really distinguished us. And then, and, then, and then we are about service, right? So if you, if you look at our firm, and, and I find this really interesting, is that, is that, you know, of course, Jack Corgan founded it. And, and for the first, you know, 40-ish years, 35, 40 years, you know, he established the practice. He, 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 he developed the profile. It was a relatively small practice, very small practice. Sole proprietorship, uh, you know, you, you were up, you spent the money, you were down, you didn't spend the money, and yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a real feast or famine kind of a thing. But he built the diversity in our, in our project base, our, our project types, right? Yeah. And in the mid-'70s, you know, his son, C-Jack, came in, 
and at, at a pretty dire time. I mean, the firm was really in pretty dire straits, and it had almost run its course in the sense that 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 that, that his father had taken it as far as he could. Yeah. And CJ came in with this business perspective, and he and he kind of shook the firm by the scruff of the neck, brought in the right people, and and established you know for the next twenty five years the whole idea that we're going to build a business practice that's going to do great architecture. Yeah. And it's going to be founded on on client service. And I got here. I got here like like right in the middle of that with you know about 10 years after jack got here and and i got to i got here when there was about 30 people and now i, I checked this morning there's 594 people Golly. which is a staggering yeah amount, right but but back then you know we were a business and we had to we had to make money on our projects and we had to learn how to do that and if it, it wasn't you you could draw as pretty pictures as you want but yeah. if you couldn't run a project you really probably didn't have a place here right well, then, as Jack firmly put that in place, and, and all of us were brainwashed into that, into yeah. that zone, right? <laughs> um, it came to the point where, where David took over the firm. And David Lind um, is an amazing guy. You know, talk about a visionary guy. I mean, he, he, could, he, could, see, he could see big things that weren't there yeah. and convince other people to go get those things, yeah. right? And he was particularly great. at He, he, he grew the firm, mm-hmm. and he also began the process of specialization right we were at the, before before david we were all a bunch of teams that were pursuing essentially the same kinds of work but when david came on board we began to migrate to a specialty you know where we we're doing aviation and data centers and and and, and interiors, uh, interiors and so on yeah so 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 david and and you know ironically david um david's love was was making things happen it wasn't running a firm yeah right and i think that's another characteristic of the of, of leadership in our firm right sometimes you just have to do the things you don't want to do yeah and it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of perseverance and as i look through you know jack and then c jack and david and then bob and scott and lindsay and steve you know I, we owe those guys so much yeah and 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 you know they're, they're to some degree they're putting their they're putting their passions on hold for other for other passions, right? For yeah. for making the firm go. I mean, <clears throat> you should go around if you're in if you're at Corgan, and oh by the way, you're an employee owner, which yeah. is an amazing thing, right? Yeah. You know, it, it would be entirely appropriate for you to thank Lindsay and Steve and, and Scott yeah. for their for the work that they do. I yeah. mean, there's not a harder job in this firm. And it's like they're it's like I mean, running a firm is like it's like doing three-dimensional chess while you're going down the highway at a thousand miles an hour. You just don't know. <laughs> With no know. windshield. Right. And you don't want, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And you know what's going to hit you. And, and, and it's an entirely different patience level. Yeah. Right. And you have to deal with, with people like me, <laughs> which is not easy. Um, but, but, but it really, it takes a tremendous amount of courage. I mean, God, I, I watch them work and it just makes me tired watching them work. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of responsibility. And their, their goal is to advance the company. Yeah. And, you know, we're all the company. So we should be helping at that. We should we should be putting our shoulder to that wheel. But, you know, like I said, I think I think David, you know, going back to David, David, David grew the firm. He made it. Uh, he made the scale of the firm and the size of the projects. And we, we expanded into this this new building you know, our, our right. next door. Those were all visionary, visionary things. Right. When when Bob then transitioned into it, and again these were all peaceful, you know these were all bloodless coups, right? Yeah, this right, is really sure. good stuff, right? Yeah. For a, for a, for a, for, a, for a firm to transition to, you know, and and Bob came in, and Bob Bob in a lot of respects, he had his visions too, um, but he was much more detail oriented, 
And um, anybody who's ever worked with Bob knows that, right? Yeah. And I loved working with Bob. I mean, a, I love Bob. I just had dinner with him the other night. Loved the guy anyway. He had a lot of compassion, right? But Bob understood that there was a job to do. And this job was to say, hey, look, we've grown this really mom and pop business. Yeah. And we've, we've taken it about as far as we can go before we move it into a corporation, to a, right. to a real company that can grow into thousands. Yeah. And I think that Bob's great legacy is his, his courage in stepping into that, making us an employee-owned company, uh, building the corporate structure that allows us to, to, to grow to be 500, 600, yeah. 700, 1,000, 2,000 people, right? You know, without Bob, I don't think that, that would have happened. Yeah. And I think his legacy is really is that transition of, of taking the benefits of a big company and tying it to our own personal benefit in the sense that we're, we're, we're all shareholders now. Yeah. And I, I think it's a really powerful thing. And I don't think people think about that m- much at all, right? Yeah. And then we move into the transition where we have, where we have Scott and Lindsay and Steve. And, and they were such powerful and competent architects interior yeah. designers right and you think well how do you get how do you get this fabulous business and you take architects and interior designers and you make them business leaders yeah. right well first it was natural right i mean they all had leadership qualities i remember talking to bob a long long time ago and you know he was talking about hey you know what do you what do you, what do you think about the you know the future and I, and I remember specifically saying you know i mean Lindsay is somebody that i could happily follow yeah because like you could just see the leadership in it right and 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 when we when Bob came up with the, the idea of how the firm was going to be um, structured, and Scott and Lindsay and Steve uh, came to it, you know, I can't imagine how fearful they may they they may have been, right? Yeah. That they didn't know what they didn't know. I think they've done a magnificent job. It's uh, you know it's so funny to hear you talk about that because thinking back, and I've had the pleasure of being in some of the the big headquarters that we've designed for Fortune 100 companies. And it, I remember vividly one of the projects that we worked on, we were uh, filming uh, a part of the project and the CEO, and it was there was like three levels of security that you had to get through to get to their office. Uh, probably appropriately so. Um, but <laughs> I do that, think Scott needs bodyguards. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's never been, whether when, when the... Um, when we were in the other building and when we're expanding into this building, the offices literally have the doors open the majority of the time and anybody in the firm could walk into any of, you know, Lindsay Scott Steve's offices or at the time Bob uh, Holtz, um, any of the, the people that you are at the very top that you might have something you want to go and talk to them about, you could do it and their doors were, were open. Well, I, I, mean, I think it's an outgrowth of our collaborative environment, right? I mean, the, the whole idea that, that you have to know what, other, what the other person's mind is about, right? right. <clears throat> and one of the things that's really impressive is not just the open door, but the fact that you can, you can bring in, you know, you can bring in good news and you can bring in bad news, yeah. right? <laughs> and and, 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 it, and it is, they're the, it's the same, yeah. right? And, and I think that's a real key to leadership too, is you just have to keep an even keel. And I, I, that's an advice that I've not always taken, right? Yeah. But I've grown into it and I've learned it from people like Lindsay and Scott and Steve, is that, is that sometimes you just simply have to go in. And, and, and I, I always appreciated this about them particularly was that even when they're mad at me, uh, <laughs> which is justified, uh, you, you know, I've been treated with respect. And, and it, it just goes a long way. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I love about Corrigan is how gracious a company we are yeah and that's reflected in how we deal with our consultants i mean if you ask our consultants 
they want to work with us because we treat them with respect. We want to make sure that we get their money just like we go get our money. Right. And, and we just treat them with respect. So, you know, in, in talking about people that are, you know, towards the top end, let's talk about people that are just starting out. And I want you to start by telling me the story of how you uh, became a registered architect um, and sitting, taking the test and whatnot, and what went into oh, that. Oh, the, the, the yeah. uh, TBAE story. Exactly. Right? But, yeah. but, but tell me, start with that and then tell me like what advice you would have or what do you think the most important thing for somebody just starting out would to, to know? <laughs> well, first thing is, is if I could go back to my, myself back then and give myself advice, yeah. it would be worthless because, because I wouldn't listen. <laughs> so, so I, you know, it's, it, you know, yeah. Some, I just had to burn my hand on the stove to learn, right? I mean, it was just, it was just me. Um, but, uh, but, but, but I'm not sure that advice, that any advice I could give anybody would be that useful to them because maybe the one bit of advice is trust yourself mm. because, because you might be less confident about your skill sets or your education or whatever. You are way smarter than you think. Mm. Um, and and if you if you follow the rules yeah. a little bit, you'll 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 persevere and you'll get through, and it's going to be fine. And you're going to have good days and bad days. This is a career. I, I'm, you know, to paraphrase Billy Joel, you know, you, you you may love it forever, but you won't like it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it'll be tough times. You just have to you just have to, to to get through those tough times. So persevere is probably my my one word of advice. Um, <laughs> but the story you talk about yeah. is that uh, I, I've always been an impatient person. I've always been a goal-oriented person. Even from very young, I'd like focus on a goal, hit that goal, next goal, next goal, next goal. So, so I was in that phase where I was going from goal to goal, and I got out of high school and I went to college. My goal was to get an undergraduate degree, get a graduate degree, get registered, build my career as an architect, and everything was goal, goal, goal. So I had uh, gone to Texas A&M, and I had uh, taken a lot of classes just because I just wanted to get through it. And I'd come home in the summers and I'd work in, um, I'd work at first at a gas station. Uh, and then, and then I found a job at working at, a, at an architect's office, a guy named Tasso Katselis. He was actually, um, he was actually for a brief time, an apprentice under Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, okay. Really, really fascinating guy. <clears throat> so two summers I got to work for, for Tasso and I was building up my uh, intern development program experience credits at the same time that I was really going through school pretty fast. So I, I did my undergraduate degree in like um, three and a half years. And then I went right into graduate school and I did that in about six months. And, and so, and it was like a, it was like a four, it was a four, two program, I guess it was. And I managed to do it in like a little over four and a half years. So I got out of school and it was a great time to get out of school and do a lot of interviewing and uh, got a job here at Corgan and, and started cranking on my IDP again. So I was already pretty far ahead of the game. So about a year in, I had all my all my IDP credits. I had my 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 bachelor's and my master's degree, <clears throat> and I applied to go sit for the exam. And at the time, it was given once a year, you know. So you missed it; you didn't get a chance to do it. Right. It was a four-day exam, um, you know, about twelve Gosh. hours a day, in a row, right? It was over in Fort Worth, and uh, you know, if you missed it, you missed it. And if you and there were nine parts to it, and you'd pass however many you pass, and then you get the next year and you take the ones you missed, right? So up until that time, nobody at Corgan had ever missed any exam. You always passed it the first time, which was like <laughs> no, no pressure, pressure, no pressure at all. <clears throat> so I did all, everything up. I was studying like an idiot. I was, I was going on the bus. I had two hours to, to, to study every day. Uh, and uh, I got to uh, the point where I was ready to take the exam. And I got a letter from the Texas Board of Architects Examiners. And it said, uh, sorry, we, you know, you're, you're not 
you're not going to be taking the exam. And I, I didn't understand that. So yeah. they pointed me to this to this pretty obscure little little paragraph in their bylaws that was eh, pretty pretty vague pretty vague yeah about first professional degree and uh and so uh i said well you know i called them up and they, they said well you know tough luck you got to come in next year and i said well but why are you doing this i mean yeah. why, why I, I, I meet these requirements and they said well you know we think we just think you're too young and i said, <laughs> wait a minute I, I i'm sorry i can't control that right yeah <clears throat> but they said, look, if you want to, you can appeal this before the board. And the board at the time was like 24 members. There was some you know, engineers and architects and members of the community and that sort of thing. And I said, okay, fine, let me do that. So, so I reached out to my professors and I reached out to, to other organizations to help, help me prepare for this, this interview, which was coming right up. And, the, and yeah. then, the, and then they the, uh, the exam was like right after that. So I so had to travel down to Austin, went down there. And I, I gave a half hour impassioned plea yeah. um, about, about, hey, look, I, I've met all your requirements. You know, you're arguing about my undergraduate degree being a first professional degree and, the, and my master's not, you know, being, the, the argument was that my master's was my first professional degree, but mm. I had a bachelor's degree and, yeah. and I could make the argument. So did this argument half an hour long and I ended by basically saying, look, I'm just looking for fairness here. Yeah. And it's not fair what you're doing. They voted unanimously to uh, allow to, to uh, they agreed with me they uh, agreed to change the wording in their bylaws they made a, a agreement to make it retroactive so that I could sit for the exam um, and which then was as, the, like the next week <clears throat> which was like the next week <laughs> two weeks away maybe so as they were as they were going out on their forget um, the, one of the one of the civilian members of the board was Ross Pro Jr. Mm. Um, and uh, and I remember shaking my hand. And he goes, "Now, kid, just remember, you got to pass the exam." Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Oh, th thanks for that vote of confidence, right?" So the two weeks went, and uh, and you'd sit for the exam and you crush it, and then, and then you have to wait for like three or four months um, to get your results. Yeah. And thank God I passed it <laughs> on the on the first time. Well, about about three months, two three months after that, I got a really nice letter from um, from uh, Dr. Roberts, who was the head of the TBIE at the time, and and it basically it said our records indicate that that um due, due to the change we made to, at the board meeting that um that you're the youngest registered architect in the state of texas at this time now i'm That's sure that awesome. you, know, like, you know two days later there was another one but <laughs> but at the moment it was, it was a very gracious thing for him to do it's yeah. very nice um and and so that was that was uh that was my little story about the tbae so from that point to where we are now <clears throat> where do you think the future of architecture is you know, if I if I knew that, I'd probably I'd, I'd probably be making millions of dollars. A lot of money, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, do you think is, this is, is not much is probably going to change in terms of helping people with their problems? It sounds like. No, I think the core issue is is going to be that it's how we achieve it. I, I, I'm fascinated by by the technologies that we we apply. You know, the the the, the manufacturing stuff, mm -hmm. the the the, um, the the 3D printing of of buildings and houses yeah. and parts and that sort of thing. But but on one level, and this is going to sound really bad, but I, I don't care. Yeah. Right. To me, architecture has always been about the satisfaction of of solving the problem, and of and of doing it, you know, with other people, collaboratively, making, uh, understanding, clarifying, figuring it out. T to me, it doesn't matter whether you've got a ray gun to do it or a or a you know handheld printer right yeah um <laughs> I, I, my, my my thing has always been about satisfaction and i think there's, there's a significant thing for me is that you know i, I talked before about being goal oriented 
very early in my career and, and through a very large portion of my career, I was very goal-oriented. And I'd get to the point where I'd make the goal and there'd be a little bit of disappointment after you made it because it's like, ah, okay. It's like finishing a book. Oh, I, uh, I loved it. I wanted to do that again. But what ended up happening is it became this kind of thing that said, you know, that, that, that I realized was very cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. And as I looked at that, I realized that, that, that maybe this was more about the journey than yeah. the destination. And it came to me one time when I was very busy and we were doing a lot of stuff. And I had, a, I had this tendency to, to like over-prepare for meetings. And, and the meeting was coming up and I just didn't have time. I just didn't have time to prepare. Yeah. And I, 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 it was one of those things where you just got to do what you got to do. So I remember going to that meeting with a lot of trepidation because it was outside my comfort zone. And I hadn't prepared well. And the meeting went great. It went fabulous. It was, you know, it was a real freewheeling meeting. The ideas were pushed around and, and, and it turned out really well. And I came out of that meeting thinking, that wasn't half bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of feel better that, you know, than having met a goal. Yeah. And that became, that became kind of the journey. That became the idea that, 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 that I had kind of reached a plateau for me anyway, that said, I have enough skill sets to wade into situations yeah. that I don't have to know everything beforehand. Yeah. And that I can, I can, and maybe that's a small advantage. And so what it began for me was a more of an appreciation for the journey mm -hmm. and a focus on the satisfaction of what I do rather than the accomplishment of what I do. And I have to tell you, that's been one of like the most pivotal changes for me in my life. I think Brian George had a lot to do with helping me see that. Yeah. Uh, Bob Morris helped me see that. Um, so, so I mean, I'm still, you know, obviously work in progress, right? But, but I can't overstate the amount of satisfaction that I've had in my career. And even the bad times, you know, even the hard stuff that you overcame yeah. is a point of pride. Yeah. You know, I often joke that what doesn't kill you failed to kill you. Right. Uh, and it made you stronger, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, this, the, when you look back and you realize what you've been through, um, it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty satisfying thing. And I don't know many, I, I know a lot of people that have their jobs and they don't necessarily like them. Yeah. But the people I know that love their jobs are ones that have found satisfaction in them. Well, I can't think of a much better place to leave it than that. Matt, thank you sure. for spending this hour with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for watching. And you can also check us out on uh, uh, whatever podcast platform you use. We're now across, I think, eight different ones. Um, so if you're sitting in the car and want to listen, please feel free to pick that up. Check out the description below. Thank you again for joining us.